this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is one of the most visible, popular, and sought-after actors of the last six decades. He's appeared in dozens of TV series, including Gunsmoke, Love American Style, The Odd Couple, The Original Star Trek, Happy Days, Married with Children, Seinfeld, My Name is Earl, Heroes, Arrested Development, and most notably, The Andy Griffith Show and Gentle Ben. You also know him from the big screen in well-known films like Rock and Roll High School, The Original Jungle Book, Grand Theft Auto, Night Ship, Carnosaur, The Rocketeer, The Water Boy, Get Crazy, Apollo 13, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Frost Nixon. And that's, as we like to say on this show... Barely scratching the surface. In a long and prolific career that started when he was all of two years old, he worked with Henry Fonda, Gene Arthur, Maureen O'Hara, Red Skelton, William Shatner, Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton, Kate Blanchett, Jim Carrey, Mike Myers and the Ramones, as well as former podcast guests, Roger Corman, Joe Dante, Bernie Capel, and Henry Winkler. He's also shared the screen with some of our favorite character actors, including Paul Ford, Jack Elam, Slim Pickens, Phil Harris, David Jansen, Paul Winchell, and Ben Gazzara. Please welcome to the show and raise a glass of Trania. Dude. I think it's Tranya. Tra- a glass of Tranya. A glass of transvestite to one of show business' most colorful performers and a man who could say he met both Walt Disney and Richard Nixon, Clint Howard. Wow. Well, thank you, Gilbert. That is an all-timer. I mean, you that 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 you you did barely scratch the surface, but you got a lot of stuff in there. I really <laughs> yeah. appreciate it. You've done a lot. So, is there anything else to talk to you about? Uh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you actually you actually nailed uh, most of the character actors that, that I've had a chance to work with, and uh, surprisingly enough been watching a lot of the old things with like Struther Martin and Slim Pickens. There was an episode from um, Gentle Ben where Slim Pickens was the guest star. And my grandfather, who had never flown on an airplane before, he he was in uh, Kansas and Oklahoma. He flew to visit his son, my dad, and me in Florida. And grandpa had never been on a plane before. He'd never been around show business before. Before dad gave the second assistant director $35, which was the fee for an extra. So granddad got to be an extra in the scene with Slim Pickens. And they put granddad right in the money spot behind Slim Pickens. And granddad didn't screw up. He was a good extra. He didn't look at the camera. He was solid. And I I now have a legitimate digital memory of my grandfather. And 
in the past, it's been still photos. Wow. With slim pick, grandpa with slim pickings. Yeah, and he was a good extra. And he and, had instincts. I'll tell you one one more thing is that when he got that $35 in his hand, his entire attitude about show business changed. <laughs> he was always skeptical. And then until he got the 35 bucks in his hand, and he said, Well, that's really good business. <laughs> and now let's talk about because it is your whole family is in show business. So your father is Rance Howard, character actor. Yep. And, of course, your brother, Ron Howard, from uh, the Andy Griffith Show and Happy Days. And a million other things. Plus your two nieces now, Paige and Bryce. Well, yes. Uh, B- Bryce Bryce is a, a very much a concentrated working car- uh, actress, and she's been in a couple of huge movies. Mm-hmm. And I think she's Jurassic a little underrated. World. Yes, yes indeed. I mean, so I, the greatest grossing movie of all time, and they're actually doing a sequel right now. They may be doing two sequels. Um, she's really working hard and Paige who is very good. And she just Paige, not, it's not a break, but she needs to get that just the right part and the right, she's not a specific kind of all American girl type. She's, I think she's, she'll be a comedian, but she's a little edgy. So I wish her the best. I mean, I certainly wouldn't recommend being in show business to anybody. It's it. It's way, way, way too, oh, I don't know, insecure. That's a weird thing. Like, people ask me, like, would you want your kids? And and it, it's weird. It's like, to me, I would want my kids in show business if they could be assured by contract that they'll all be big, rich stars immediately. Those are the only terms you'd yes, want your kids yeah. to show business? <laughs> I want them I, to face no rejection Mm-hmm. And it's very no loving. Criticism. So you're a loving dad. So you're really a, living in a fantasy world. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why should today be any different? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm actually very fortunate because, um, you know, first of all, I had a great, I had a great example. An older brother, Ron, five years older than me, who was doing all the childhood acting things. And it's a little like a kid with an older brother playing sports, playing baseball. I could see him do it. I knew how to do it kind of by him. And dad, of course, was a mentor. But Ron was a really good example of how to do it. So I had a head start. I, and I knew about competition. I knew that there, you know, I'd go into an audition and there was going to be, you know, 15 losers and one winner. And I would get hurt emotionally for just about a day when I wouldn't get an audition. Oh, jeez. It's interesting because the Howards are kind of an acting dynasty. You guys are a little bit like the Barrymores at this point. Yeah, and, you know, probably in total we've been rejected, oh, I don't know, a couple of thousand times in our lives (laughs) when you total it all up. Mom went on a hundred commercial auditions before she got her first commercial, which was an International House of Pancakes, Rudy Tootie, Fresh and Fruity commercial. Yeah, but your your mom acted quite a bit. She was in Matilda. She's in Roseanne. My mom went on a hundred commercial auditions where they said, thank you very much next. And, and, and it's Ron Howard's, I mean, it, she didn't lead with it, but right. it's kind of apparent Mrs. Howard. And, and yet it didn't matter. This business is rugged. If you're not right, if, if, if they're going to, if somebody might get fired, if they hire you, they won't hire you. Start off with uh, Ron's first part. 
Well, Ron was about four years old, and he did a movie in in um, Austria called The Journey with Yul Brynner and Deborah Carr. Complete accident that he got in the movie, and it was a one-time thing, but he was a natural. And it was an accident. Dad was making the rounds in New York, and it was it was back in the days when an agent wouldn't make an appointment for you. You would just go around yourself and and meet the casting directors, and Dad went into a casting director's office, and it was a room full of kids. And Dad left a little note saying, oh, I'm sorry I missed you. You know, we can re- do another time. We can like to talk to you about a thing you're doing or several parts that this guy was casting. And the guy – and as a PS, Dad said, I have a son who is a terrific little actor. Now, Dad had been on Broadway in Mr. Roberts. And by osmosis, um, he just – he played a character named Lindstrom. Uh, and it was his big break. But Ron had learned a Doc Pulver scene. So Ron was this little three-year-old kid who could play Pulver and Mr. <laughs> Roberts. And, and, and the casting director called, my, um, called Dad back and says, are you kidding about your son being a good little actor? And Dad says, well, see for yourself. And he killed at the audition. And they asked Dad, can he learn anything else? And Dad goes, well, I don't know. Anyway, they gave him another little scene. He got the part, and they were going to take the money and put it away for college. That was going to be wow. it. And he just – he was a natural. And mm-hmm. uh, he started working. And your first part was on, on your brother's show. Yeah, you know, we were just talking about that yeah. before we turned the mics on. What were you, all of two, Clint? <laughs> yes, it was no- 1961 was the first time I was in an episode of The Andy Griffith Show. And I played a character called Leon. Yeah, sure. And I, just recently, I saw my very first setup. And I actually, if you look real close, I, I blink as an actor because I get picked up. And it's obviously about the third or fourth time we had done the setup. Because you could see that I was, I was kind of reacting. My reflexes were to, to, to react to this guy getting ready to pick me up. I held it just long enough to, to not kill the joke. And it was a good joke. And I ended up doing five over the next couple of years. I did five episodes of The Andy Griffith Show. And, and it, that was another way, thing you, you got by accident. Because I think your father just brought you to the set because he was visiting Ron. Yeah, no, well, actually, um, I think it was that mom, see, dad would normally stay with the actors. I mean, dad generally raised us. I mean, mom was there too, but as an actor and as the father, dad was involved. Now, when dad would get a part, mom would have to come in and, and, and go down to the set. At that time, I believe I was being babysat and I, brought, was, I was brought to the set and the director, Bob Sweeney, saw me. And instantly thought of an idea that would get a laugh. And it was me. It was Barney, Don Knotts, having his way with me. Well, not really. In that <laughs> <time ago. laughs> a gag. A gag. A- again, not really in that way. Um, no. It, so, Don, they got quite a bit of mileage and quite a bit of laughs at a little Leon well, showing up. Well, you saw up. from the sandwich, the peanut butter sandwich. When he was in jail, he, right, would, he right. locked himself in the jail in one episode, right. and here I was, out of nowhere, I'm handing him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> and his, his famous kind of comeback was, not now, Leon. <laughs> like, at some point, he did take the sandwich. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I heard you were just wandering around the set in a cowboy outfit. The same thing that you see me in the show. I was just, um, listen, my dad was born on a horse, basically. I mean, and, and so I, I played Cowboys and Indians, and that was the outfit I wore when I went to the set. And I was just, you know, wandering around the, 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 the not the sides, you know, the, the, the flats mm-hmm. and pl- playing in the sets that weren't being used. 
and Bob Sweeney saw me. And, uh, and actually just the following year, I mean, well, it was maybe 65. I was in a TV series called the Bailey's about Boa with Paul Ford. Oh, we know that one. Holloway. (laughs) Yeah. It's come up. And, and it was the last year of black and white. And actually it was, they gave it a really lousy time slot, but I was comic relief and I was about a little, I was a five-year-old kid and they did 13 episodes and I've seen them and they're actually, it was pretty funny. Paul Ford. Paul Ford and Sterling Holloway. Yep. It was a different era. They stood there and told jokes, you know, and, and yet color had come along and then the guy, the, the, the president of CBS at the time had a personal beef with the guy who was the- Jim Aubrey. yeah, yeah. I, I, you, the, it's it's, it's so anyway, they, the show went away. Yeah, um, and it was like a comedy, and they gave it a ten o'clock time slot. Well, he got well. He was some controversy that he was favoring certain producers, and there was a there may have even been some mob connection. Do you remember Cliff well, Nesteroff telling us about this? Oh with, yes, with Keith, yes. Keith Brazell was involved. Oh, that's right. Yes. Well, so was I. That <laughs> was my now, career. Now I've got a question that. Neither has to do it directly with you or directly with Ron, but I have to have an answer. Did Andy Griffith and Francis Bouvier, who played Aunt B. Oh, Bavier. Yeah, Bavier, yeah. <laughs> hate each other. That's what I heard. Um, hate? Yes. They didn't, they didn't talk. Uh, Francis didn't care for Andy, and Andy didn't care for Francis. I mean, I don't know whether it was hate or not, but it was, you know, uh, Francis kept it very professional. And I think, listen, I was not around. I mean, first of all, I was around. I was two. I don't remember. (laughs) Um, And then pretty soon I went off and worked on Gentle Ben because there was a time when I was working on Gentle Ben and Ron was working on The Andy Griffith Show, and we were doing it simultaneously one year or one week Andy Griffith finished number one in the Nielsen's and, and Gentle Ben finished number two. So that wow. was a big highlight for the Howards. But yes, they were, it was cool. It was very cool. And Francis the whole time was not Aunt B. I mean, she was not everybody's favorite aunt. She wasn't, she wasn't like friendly to others and not friendly to Andy. She was cordial. But the, she and Andy just didn't talk. Interesting. I wonder what the, why they were, they were oil and water. Um, I, you know, Francis was an interesting person. Ron has told me a little bit about Ron went to try to visit her one time after she had retired and she had moved to North Carolina and was living above an antique store. And Ron purposely kind of made a trip to go and visit. And Ron saw that there was somebody in that apartment above the store. They, they, Ron saw the person look out the window and Ron knocked on the door, and the woman or wouldn't answer. So Ron d- could never get a direct contact with Francis wow. since the show. So I, you know, listen. A lot of times, people can have enough of show business. People can flip the bird to the business, and and Francis may have done that. Interesting. You want to talk and, a little bit about Gentle Ben? No, I want to keep talking about Francis Bouvier. <laughs> Bobby, yeah, <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> Well, I, I wish I wish I knew more about Francis, but the fact is, is I mean, I was little and she was an enigma. Now, I can tell you about some of the famous boobs that I've been in the breast of. <laughs> yeah, Gilbert's interested yes, in that. Yes, yes, Tell us that. <laughs> I, I was in the bosom of Maureen O'Hara Not for the bad. better part of a week because I had a crying scene. 
And my goodness, we did a lot of coverage of that crying scene. And I was about thir- I was about 13 years old at the time. So I was well aware of Marina Harris' prowess as a mother. <laughs> um, also, Vera Miles. And I yes. know that's a name that's a blast from the past. And a runner-up in Miss America. A, c- a couple of years before that, she played my mother. And we had a, a horrible tornado come through. And... Uh, we were down in the storm cellar and we were down there shooting for about a week and I was crying the whole time right on her bosom. So you had a very happy child. <laughs> Vera Miles from it, Psycho. I'm very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I've emoted on some of the best breasts in the world. <laughs> Let's ask about Gentle Ben Quick, okay. Clint, since you brought it up. I did not up. emote on his breast. No, no, no. But uh, you, you have so many interesting th- things to say about that experience. You know, for one thing, you like to say that the bear bought your house, which I get a kick out of. Yeah, well, the reality is, is my parents. Because my, my mom and dad felt like that the money that both Ron and I earned as as little juvenile actors was ours. And, and like, dad paid for our school clothes. Dad paid for our school books. And dad paid for... Our food. And, and, and when we were 18, Dad shook my hand and said, good luck. But what that did is it kept, you know, I had my, my pool left over from childhood. So the bear bought me a house, bought my house. Now, I, I spin it. It's gone. But at one time, I did have, the bear did have, I, I've since gotten another house. But there was one time where I went through life kind of as a knucklehead. I see. Did you watch Gentle Ben as a kid? Oh, Phil? not that much. Yeah. Not as much as Andy Griffith. Yeah. The Florida Everglades, wild and beautiful, mysterious wilderness, where adventure is tracked each week by a little boy and a great black bear called Gentle Ben. Ben, did you meet a little girl out here in the woods today? She's lost out there, and you're the only one that's seen her. You just gotta find her. Here is big excitement and thrilling action, filled with all the wonders of the great outdoors. A totally new experience in television entertainment. Starring Dennis Weaver, Clint Howard, and Beth Brickell. I'm going to ask you one last question about General Ben, and that's not directly uh, about General Ben, but about meeting Nixon. Oh, okay. Which happened right around that time, did it not? Well, it was a little after. General okay. Ben probably had been canceled. I was with Maureen McCormick and Darby Hinton. Darby Hinton had been in Daniel Boone, and Maureen McCormick was in Brady Munch. Sure. And we flew to Washington, D.C., and we were in a, a like a travel log, a kid's travel log that, that uh, Art Linkletter was producing called A Kid's Eye View of Washington. And the coup de grace was us getting to interview Nixon in, in the Oval Office. I guess Nixon and, and Art Linkletter were friends. Art was a conservative kind of guy back then. And I mean, I, and anyway, so they asked us to come up with questions. And I had a simple question I wanted to ask President Nixon. And that was, you know, I've been paying taxes for 10 years. That's I was 12 years old at the time. And I ha- I don't get the right to vote. Isn't that taxation without representation? And they wouldn't let me ask that question. They would. <laughs> <laughs> no, they let me ask some softball. I just remember President Nixon, he was sweating like a pig and he had jowls like a hound dog. <laughs> That's your and, memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I so anyway, it was a wonderful experience. We did we did studio school in the basement of the Smithsonian Institute. And you had so, been paying taxes since you were two. Yes. No bullshit. Oh, you know, 
67, I made $67 that first year. So it was a hundred dollar gross, 67 net. They taxed me like $33. Did you, did you know that he had a tax, he had a tax uh, form when he was 20, when he was two. <laughs> the, the little, the, uh, the simple tax return. And I have it from 1961 is about five inches by seven inches total. Gilbert started very young in the business. He started at 15, but but, but two takes the cake. I didn't make money till God (laughs) knows when. And isn't and, isn't that a good feeling, Gilbert? When when you're working and you're doing, you're being creative. I mean, I it didn't happen to me because I don't remember when I was really started in the business. But that first time when like you're a pro, you give up your amateur status. I it's just I I remember one time working in some place like some basement place where I got seven dollars. And then I went back there a, a month or so later, and then they paid me five dollars. <laughs> you came down. So I glitched down. <laughs> Do you remember where this was or how old you were? Oh God! Of all places, it was the bottom of a church. Wow! <laughs> which I should have been struck by lightning going in. Right, of course. Kind of a blue routine. Was it blue? Was it? Uh, you... No, it hadn't. I hadn't become totally disgusting back then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you must have done something to go from seven bucks to five bucks. Yes. But I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, just when the show was starting to get good, we're going to throw a monkey wrench into the works with this commercial word. It's Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Now, you said that you and Ron were bullied when you were uh, kids. Yeah, we we got picked on, sure. Especially Ron. Ron was more of a geek than I was. Uh, Ron blazed the trail for me a little more. I was the little brother. We went to the same elementary school, the same junior high, the same high school. People were a little more familiar with me. Ron was fresh and he was Opie. And like Ron played high school basketball. And, you know, what do you think the opposing cheerleaders in the opposing gym were chanting when he was at the free throw line? We can imagine. O-B. Oh, yeah. Oh, B. And it, and it, it, listen, he got picked on. There was one time he went to a reunion. There was a guy that picked on him in high school. And it was one of these guys where he was, this guy was the littlest guy in the group. So they were, st- they were all picking on Ron. But they let the little guy really kind of, you know, have some, get some shots in. And not, I don't mean physical like they were hitting him. But anyway, at a reunion, Ron saw the guy. And the guy came up and tried to be really friendly like they had been buddies for life. And Ron, I heard this through a third party. Ron got a plenty of money back for his, what's the term? He, he got. Payback? He got, a, he got a pound of flesh back. I see. He, he dressed this guy down something awful like. You didn't live a very good life, have you? know, you, you've been actually really doing bad, haven't you? And in front of everybody, Ron was just sort of, you know, saying, oh, boy, I've done really good, and you've done really bad, haven't you? And it just kind of embarrassed him. But, Ron, it was a payback because it hurt. It didn't hurt me so much, but it hurt Ron when they picked on him. Was it jealousy because you guys were on the tube every week, yeah. some of that? I think partially. Even though it's an industry, it. you were in, industry, in an industry town and— you know what? It, it, we might have been in an industry town, but the Burbank School District never acknowledged that show business was part of the community. So we were outsiders. And we, you see, we had, 
you know, Ron was on the Andy Griffith show, so he went to studio school when the Andy Griffith show was on. So mm-hmm. they, he was only in public school for a limited amount of time. And I was a little more, but still I was down doing a gentle bend down in Florida and I had a teacher down there. And um, when I came back, I only did gentle bend for two years. When I came back and went to school, um, I stayed close with my friends and there were people that may have been saying things, you know, where is the bear double parked or, you know, <laughs> people would try to say stupid stuff, you know, but I didn't have Opie hung on me. Yeah, sure. You know, now here's uh, getting back to the bear for a second. How close were you with the bear? I mean, how gentle was he actually? And 700 pounds. Yeah. Wasn't he? He was a bit, uh, yeah, that may, I don't know, 650, seven. I mean, yeah. I never stood there and, on, and watched him. I watched him eat and I watched him poop. I never watched him weigh. <laughs> he ate prodigiously. He would eat like 24 loaves of bread a day. He would eat a, a dozen heads of lettuce. He'd eat a bag of monkey chow. He'd eat a couple of boxes of donuts. What is monkey chow? Well, you, what you feed monkeys. Oh, I see. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you familiar with that, Gil? No. <laughs> this is the first time... I, I, <laughs> You've never owned a monkey? Uh, no. He's acted with a few. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. There's. I, I think. Uh, uh, what's that company that with the uh, red and uh, Purina makes monkey chow? They make monkey chow. I had no idea. This show is so educational. I, I was in a movie called Funky Monkey with a few different. <laughs> you never were they, acted were with a bear, did but, you? No were there monkeys. No. So now. How what? did they let, was the bear on a chain when you were doing the scenes with him or? Well, the, the bear had an outfit, he had a costume and it included having a chain and it wasn't for the benefit of the show. Although it was easy for the animal handlers to have him with a chain collar because then they could just take a, t- uh, you know, hook him and then you've got him by a chain. I mean, I, I jerked on the bear's chain for a couple of years, pretty <laughs> steady. Um, but you know what? It was all about food. It was all about food. The bear, he, I don't think he really cared who was giving him uh, attention as long as they had food. They would get the bear to follow me by rubbing honey on my hand or putting a couple of cookies in my pocket and the bear would follow me. And the bear would take a lifesaver out of my mouth. And wow. it, they'd call, they would call it a kiss. I would call it a trip to the emergency room, but... That's another issue. <laughs> uh, but no, I got it. Listen, the bear was fine. The, the, the other bears, they had three working bears. And one was a little smaller. And then two were pretty much the same. Um, we had a lot of other animals. Ivan Tours, who produced the show. Now he's a legend. He was trying to do Disney with animals. He was trying to do, he bought property to try to make an amusement park down there where it would be, you know, his aunt Flipper, yeah. Octari. Yep. Um, he, he, he had was built the guy. Cowboy uh, in sea Africa. Hunt. Yeah, Sea Hunt uh, with uh, uh, Bridges. Lloyd Bridges. Uh, yeah, he was behind all those animal shows. Yeah, no. Well, he was trying to do, he was trying to become Walt Disney. And um, it, it, it didn't work. He got out over his skis and financially, you know, it didn't work. It was kind of nice to be a part of it. He made movies. Sure. He had a facility down there where they were, they were training bears and they had like a compound. It was more than just bears. And they let me wrestle with the little bears, which that was really fun. And uh, like they, Ivan Torres made a movie down there uh, while we were working with Tony Randall and Janet Lee. We've talked about it. Hello down there. Oh, it's Richard. And a young Richard uh, Dreyfus. Yeah, Rich singing 
uh, singing to a love song to a yeah, goldfish. Little goldfish. Yes. Well, yeah. because Ivan Torres, Ivan, one of the things he specialized in was underwater filming. Yes, and well, all of his guys. I mean, they had it. Yes, he had it wired. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Janet Lee worked on that movie when they went to the rap party. Um, I was the only one that danced with Janet Lee. Oh, that's a good story. Well, I she just didn't. She was tired of having these guys, you know, hitting on her. So I think she kind of stuck close to me. I mean, I was nine. I don't think I was really, you know, I, I'm not. Oh. I don't think I was really hitting on her. Although <laughs> Janet Lee had a sizable pair of breasts. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't. I was never on her bosom. I didn't act with her. But I just danced with her. You should have started crying. <laughs> I could have, but you know what? I didn't. I don't recall any slow dancing. But I probably would have made my move if we would have had a slow dance. That that movie has one of the weirdest casts with Merv Griffin and Jim Backus oh, yes. and Roddy McDowell. Yeah, and it, our, it's jaw dropping. Ken Berry, our friend Ken Berry, <laughs> really, and Charlotte Ray, who we had on the show. You know, Ivan was not afraid to hire names or, you know, we had some obscure, not really obscure, but we had old, interesting New York actors that were guests on Gentle Ben and guys that you normally wouldn't put in an adventure show. I mean, first of all, in baseball, there was Bob Gibson. They Bob Gibson did an episode. Oh, yeah. In football, Bart Starr came right. down and did an episode. And you're a baseball guy, so you must have appreciated oh. Bob Gibson showing up. His, I've got his picture and his autograph in my office. That's of cool. And That's Bart cool. Starr too. I mean, I never, I wasn't big enough to play football. But like Al Salmi, uh, Struther Martin came down and yeah. did an episode. Remember Albert Burt Salmi? Reynolds. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. That's... Struther Martin, we love. Struther yeah, Martin's Bur great. Burt Reynolds did an episode. Wow, it was a terrible episode. Except the bear, <laughs> ba the bear bailed us out. It was the greatest last four minutes. The bear did a fight with a cougar. And they, they they shot it well, and, you know, it made up for all the overacting that Bert was doing and all the bad <laughs> acting I was doing. <laughs> ben saved that episode. So, we you know, Ivan wasn't afraid to bring people down and, and put them in shows. I mean, Ivan produced the, the movie, the Tony Randall movie. That's right. He was a real P.T. Barnum character. I've read up on Ivan Tours. Hungarian guy. Yes. And very, yes. very eccentric, very interesting fellow. Yes. I talked to him later in his life, and— he kind of was speculating that there was going to be a billion people wiped off the face of the earth. They were going to, you know, that the herd was going to get thinned. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, Ivan. Going, that's great, Ivan. Good. Good and for you. Part, anyway, part of your immortality is you were a regular character on Star Trek. No, he was a guest star yeah, on Star, you're Trek. Star Trek. Well, and what was your I, character? Well, originally I was Commander Baylock in the Corbinite Maneuver. It was like the fourth episode that yep. they did. Yep, first season. Yeah, it was very early on. And they had done a pilot without William Shatner, and then they had done a pilot with Shatner. And I think my episode maybe came up right next. And I played an alien. I played an old alien, and it was a popular it was a popular episode in the first season when I went in and auditioned for George Lucas. Uh, the first thing he did, Instead of saying, you know, hi, Clint, or he said, Commander Baylock, Corbinite Maneuver. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm Baylock. Welcome aboard.
I'm Captain Kirk. And McCoy and Bailey. Sit. Be comfortable. Go ahead. Be seated. We must drink. This is Tranya. I hope you relish it as much as I. Commander Balak. I know, I know. A thousand questions. But first, the Tranya. Gentlemen. <laughs> and I was getting ready to audition. I mean, that just talk about killing the frigging vibe because the last thing I thought of was me as a little kid doing Star Trek. And I'm in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, George, get a life. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't get I didn't get the part. But and George has made a billion dollars. Um, but he was a Star Trek fan. Um, I, I was in Deep Space Nine. I played in a, I played a human being and they didn't have very many human beings on Deep Space Nine. They were all aliens of some sort. Um, and then I was in the Enterprise, which was the prequel to Star Trek, and I played a Ferengi. I remember so that. So I'm I'm one of, in fact, I may be the only one who's been in the original and the most recent. They're they're doing another Star Trek series now, and they contacted me. And when they find something, they they want to try to get me in there because they appreciate the legacy. I think you're a you're one of a handful of actors that was in all the different series. It's like you and three, you and three people. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, for a while they didn't, they, they didn't want actors who had been in the original series to be in like next generation. Right. They did because they didn't, they, they thought that it would throw off the, the show, the continuity, the, if they'd see a face that they saw in another version of Star Trek. Um, it was an accident. They forgot I was in Star Trek when I got hired to be in deep space nine. I sent Gil the clip last night just to, did you, did you watch Baylock? No, I don't oh, watch the, anything you say. Okay, good. Oh. <laughs> no, you should. But that's yeah, it. You, First, what were you, seven years old? I mean, and and your voice is being put through a synthesizer, so it's not your actual voice. But if people go back and look at the clip, and it's on YouTube, for people who aren't intimately familiar with the episode, I mean, your acting is so unbelievably natural for um, someone of that age, if I may say. Well, thank you. It was, yeah, you know, that was a lot to chew on. And dad, you know, dad was always wonderful at, at, you know, teaching and also the discipline of continuing to do the homework. You know, it's, we were more, Ron and I were more prepared than anybody ever on the set that day, adult or children. We had our, we, it's not that we memorized our lines, but we knew what we were supposed to do. So, you know, they, when I did the Star Trek thing, dad had prepared me for the distractions of being in the suit, in the costume and the, uh, you know, of course, they asked me if I wanted to shave my head, and you know, now it would be no problem. But back then, I didn't want to be in like third grade and and have a shaved head. But even the way you you bring the drinks out, I mean, the with the Tranya reference, by the oh, way, yeah. that was in the intro. Yeah. 
But the way yeah, you, the way you're you're maneuvering, the way you're moving around, the way you're bring, bringing the drinks, and then you recognize that they're they're afraid to drink the Tranya, so you drink it. And I'm watching it with my wife last night, and I'm thinking, okay, it's 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 ridiculous in premise, but look how natural Clint is doing. Well, this. yeah, yeah, you know the uh, well, like, thank like you. a forty like year old. Well, I had been in the business five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so incredibly t- smooth. I'll tell you, there's a remarkable, there's an episode of The Fugitive where I play, uh, it's something straw man. Um, anyway, it's an, it, it, I was very young mm-hmm. and I was acting. I, you, you could really see, see, I think I was better in The Fugitive than I was on Star Trek. Interesting. But The Fugitive, I was this little guy and like you, so natural. And I would print the footage that, that I'm seeing today, I would say that's good. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. I always had, um, I, I, I always felt comfortable in front of a camera. I was never intimidated. And dad said I was always enthusiastic. He goes, I was never afraid. If, if I was supposed to kick somebody, I kicked them. If I was supposed to yell, I yelled. So, you know, I think shyness, uh, at least for juvenile actors, it, it, you know, a lot of them don't get hired because they, they are, you know, television wants people big and right. I fit the bill. And also I had very, very blue eyes and I had a lot of hair. You, so. you, you were both adorable kids. Do you remember anything about David Jansen? No, no, I honestly don't. I, that was, that was at a time in my life where I have vague memories of being in the business, but nothing really sinks in permanently till I was about six. Well, I remember Star Trek. Right. Well, what were you seven re- when you did Star Trek? No, probably six. Six. I hadn't turned. I hadn't turned seven yet. That was before I did. We did a movie called Gentle Giant, which was sort of a pilot for the sure, series. Sure, sure. And that was with Vera Miles. Another, another wonderful experience. To oh yes. Fine tune my acting. <laughs> um, so we did the movie before I did Gentle Band, Gentle Giant the movie. I did Star Trek the TV show, and then once we, the movie came out. Ivan wanted to do the series right away. So um, that that was sort of the chronological order. The Fugitive came first. I also, when I was little, I was about five. I did an episode of The Bonanza called All Ye His Oh, you did the Christmas episode. It, it, I, I throw my shoulder out patting myself on the back. <laughs> what do you remember from Bonanza or the people you work with? Uh, that Michael Landon was really a nice guy and so was um, – uh, Dan Blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember Lauren kind of stepped into it and kind of acted like a movie star. And I kind of wondered, you know, why is he acting the way he's acting? But Michael Landon was, you know, he, first of all, I, I was always a little kid. Everybody's nice to a little kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I never had anybody like spit tobacco juice on me or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, my, I remember Michael Landon. Uh, my memory, uh, he was a great dude. And then my, I remember we flew up to Tahoe because Pernell Roberts had left Bonanza. Oh, sure. I and they remember were, that. They were, they were afraid they were going to lose their audience. So they decided to spend a little more money. They were going to shoot a little bit more up in uh, Tahoe. And they were going to give Michael Landon a little more to do as Little Joe. And um, we went up to Tahoe. And I remember distinctly my dad got off the airplane and put $5 and nickels in the slot machine at the airport. And he lost. And he was mad. And he didn't bet again. I mean, my dad has the willpower of a saint and like dad put some money in the, in the slot machine, didn't win. And then he didn't bet anymore. Didn't, didn't try slot machines anymore. But I do remember him putting the money in the slot machine. 
Wow. Your dad, I just want to mention your dad quickly, uh, too. Uh, he's done a million things, and people can look him up, and they won't believe how many how many credits he's done and what he's accomplished and how long he's been around. But I, I particularly like him as the farmer in the Seinfeld episode. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> You're, and you, you have a memorable Seinfeld episode as well. Oh, yeah. Ann Landers sucks yeah. is, a, a go, is a go-to signing moment. You know, yes. people, when I want to get, when they want to get the Seinfeld picture signed and they want me to say something, I just say Ann Landers sucks. And it seems to really, you know, everybody appreciates that. And your dad does but, comedy well. Well, yeah. that wasn't listen, his background, really. No, you know, dad, courage was his background because he went from being a hick in Oklahoma with very little experience to New York City where he stayed in the business, he hung in there, he caught a couple of breaks, and he just hasn't made any mistakes. And you and said he, that you and Ron, when you discuss your father and his struggling years, you you think neither one of you would have the strength that your father had. No, not in, yes, no. Ron and I, both Ron and I have said to each other, and we figured it out on our own, that we probably would not have gotten out of Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, Ron, Ron probably would have been a school teacher, maybe a high school basketball coach. Um, you know, I don't know whether I would have made it. I, that Oklahoma, it gets awfully cold and, and, and you know, cabin fever. And um, it's not the easiest place in the world to live. I'll tell you what, I am so grateful that dad did what he did, that he pursued the dream. And he, you know, first it was New York and then it was Los Angeles and and all the lessons I've learned and all the wonderful adventures I've had. It's just, I mean, if I catch myself like being angry or being bitter, I just, I, I stop and go, man, I'm an a-hole. Cause you know, I have nothing to complain about. That's nice. And you, you also told a story that you and Ron got in when you were kids were getting into a fight. And and your father split it up and taught you a lesson. I'll tell you what, Gilbert, it, Dad, it wasn't so much what he said, it was the way he said it at those critical moments. And we were fighting about baseball cards. I mean, we we couldn't really fight. He's five years older than me. <laughs> yeah. When, when he was 10, I was five. He could kick my butt. It wasn't until I was about 20 that I could really turn around and kick his ass. But that's another story. Um, the the, the uh, Dad pulled us apart. And he held it for a second and he said, you know, boys, when you grow up, you're going to want to be friends. So why don't you just knock it off? And, and it was like Ron and I immediately stopped. And dad had somehow, it wasn't again what he said. It was the way he said it. And we looked at each other and, you know, we kind of forgot what we were fighting about. I, I tell you what, and this is, this is in print and I'm not spilling the beans. I'm, I urinated on my brother. <laughs> Wait, one of the hold old, on. Well, Gilbert's done that to me yes. during the show. How? Well, maybe how maybe did this the Gilbert. Start. Tell us the whole story. Well, my memory is vague because I'm young, but it, it was it. He was laying on a, his bed, and I jumped up on it, and I thought I had a like a water pistol in my hand, and it wasn't. And I, I, I hit him really good, and he started kind of crying and yelling. And I stayed, I stayed there. I thought it was a game. And, you know, Dad had to instruct me that, no, it is not a water pistol. And I don't even think I got a spanking so because I was, I was honest. It was like I didn't try to deny it, I, you know. So I'm, 
I don't even think his wife has done that, so I'm a big winner. <laughs> so you pissed on Ron Howard. Yes, I have. Yes. <laughs> Did you ever audition for Ron Howard in your travels, Gilbert? Uh, no, and Ron Howard has never used me, and could you call him and tell him to go what? fuck himself? <laughs> okay. Well, that happens a lot, Gilbert. I, You know, he hasn't hired me for a while, but we could do a chorus. We could get together in like a one. A two, a one, two, three, four, fuck yourself. <laughs> he's always been really a great older brother. You know, he's made his last four or five movies in Europe. And if he's hired Americans, they've been, you know, number one, number two on the call sheet, which Gilbert, you and I aren't number no. one, number two on the call sheet. <laughs> We're 87 on the call sheet. So I, Ron hasn't had the opportunity to hire me. He's developing a movie that would be done here in the United States and it's right in my wheelhouse, so okay, good. It, it would be it would be a role for me if he can ever get the darn thing financed. I love the Beatle documentary. Tell him, I, it's I just, will. It's just great. Yeah, well, th- yes, Ron. You know, he won a Grammy for that. Oh, it's my, it's, my uh, brother is who is not a musician of any kind. He's got a Grammy, and that just pisses me off. <laughs> uh, well, well deserved. But, I'll tell our listeners yeah. check out Eight Days a Week because it's just terrific. No, you know, and Paul McCartney was one of the producers. And the thing is, what they found, what Ron, when he met with Paul, and it was like everybody knew there had been a hundred documentaries made about the Beatles that had been authorized. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, they needed to do something special. They needed to try to take a different angle. And I think Paul, through some of Paul's interviews, it it helped a lot. And I know privately, Ron was really impressed. It's perfect. Ron was really impressed with Ringo too. He said, "Man, what that man is sharp." And, uh, you know, we're starting to listen. Uh, Ron lost his father-in-law. Uh, Ron lost his mom, our mom. Uh, Dad's getting older. And you see Paul McCartney. And when you're with him, you know, it, he's not a young guy. 75 this week. Rock and roll, baby. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, so you know, uh, Ron has a lot of respect for them. And I think they helped make a really nice documentary. Ron feels like that the documentary is very important. And as a business, Ron and his partner, Brian Grazer, are starting to do more documentaries. There was a doc about them years ago called The Complete Beatles, which you can't even find anymore, narrated by Malcolm McDowell. And I thought this, no one will ever make a a Beatle documentary as good as this, but Ron topped it. It's it's really terrific. Yeah, no, well, listen, you obviously, I mean, I have, I've only seen a few and I admire the Beatles and I'll listen to their music now and go, wow. I was not, when I was in my early 20s, I was not really a Beatles guy. I was a harder, mm-hmm. edgier, Alice Cooper, David Bowie, Lou Reed. Um, it was just a different kind of a music. It wasn't until later when I saw just how good they were. Um, I would have, Ron asked me, is there any question I should ask Paul? And I, I blanked. I had a great question that, what was it like? when you heard your music being played either in jazz or like in full orchestra in a classical way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. How did it make you feel? Because they wrote the song when they were kids. Yeah. We just had Peter Asher here on the show the other day. Can you imagine listening to a tune and like the Boston Pops is playing it? And when you wrote it, you were an 18-year-old kid. Sure. Or Or people that he admired like Otis Redding. Well, Cover, yeah, covering that, his songs. Yes, I just to, because you know when you're a, when you're a rock and roller, you you know you think you're making good music, but you know you're insecure, 
and by God, well, you know, some great jazz musician is taking your tune and doing an authentic jazz interpretation of it. It's got to just make your chest puff out. And sure. and even though it's not as cool or as prestigious, it's got to be an interesting feeling to hear your music when you're on an elevator. Like when they just got the Muzak pumped That's in. That's interesting. Well, yeah, you know, you also hear a little cash register go off. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It may be pennies, but there's a lot of elevators. Wouldn't it be great if they did that with comedy bits? Oh, if you were, you were in an elevator. They'd have that, a little mechanical voice. All of a sudden, the Ben Gazzara bit started playing while you were in the, the Time Life building. <laughs> Hey, Gilbert, that's not a bad idea. You could maybe start a little cottage industry, you know, where you start do little comedy comedy bits for elevators. Comedy I mean, music. That would yeah. be great. Get on that, Gil. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now just you... write us about write us about three hundred of them and have them by next Monday. <laughs> now you worked with one of our, our former guests, the the very crazy and uh prolific uh Roger Corman. More than once yeah. he did. Yes, I, I worked for Roger Corman a bunch when I was in my, you know, late teens and early 20s. Um, Roger hired. Roger made movies and hired. And he always paid minimum. Towards the end, he would give me a little bit more than scale. But it was about the work. And the funny thing is, I worked for Roger. I did, you know, Eat My Dust, which is the thing Ron started. And mm -hmm. then Ron directed Grand Theft Auto. I was in Rock and Roll High School, which was made by a, by a lot of Corman people yep. that ended up doing a lot of really wonderful things. Never, I was never a person that he had to creatively deal with. Like Ron was a director, and like Ron would ask for more extras, and Roger would say no. And Roger would ask for things only because he wanted them in the trailer. And you know, Roger had a way of communicating or a way of dealing with creative people. When it was me— it, it, I mean, he obviously thought I was okay because they kept hiring me. But he never came up. He never went to, like, a rap party. He was never around for that. It was by, – by the time I started working for Roger, he had become a real executive of the B-movie. Um, and, I mean, back in the day when it was Nicholson and Francis Coppola, Roger was more hands-on. Um, but even so, you know, it, he supplied – I bet you I did 15 – movies for Roger Corman, which is, you know, for a young guy. And, and I just kept grinding. I kept doing the work. And the one fortunate thing is I never got stuck with one, like, like Jay North from, um, Dennis, the oh, menace. Dennis, the menace. Yeah. Poor Jay Our, North. Well, you know, when you're a kid and you're labeled something like Dennis, the menace, it's really hard for casting directors to see you as anything else. And the one thing I'm very grateful for is like God made me a character actor. And, you know, so I did Star Trek when I was little. I did a lot of little characters. I played a Mexican in an episode of Virginian. Oh, that's and right. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I wasn't pinned down to anything. And, of course, you know, nobody confuses me with John Travolta, you know, looks-wise. It, it's... But I, there's been a spot for me, and I've been very appreciative because, you know, I've got a pension. Um, I've got a little dough in the bank, and I've got a lot of friends and a lot of people that make movies and, or make television and think of me. They don't always hire me, but they think of me. <laughs> 
Did Roger think he was making a disco movie with Rock and Roll High School? I saw an interview with you, and you said he couldn't tell the difference between rock and roll and disco. He was trying to capitalize on the disco craze. Well, yeah, Saturday Night Fever had just come out. I mean, and, and Alan Arkish, the original script was called Disco High. And even though Alan knew they were going to make Rock and Roll High School, they sold Disco High. Roger didn't know the difference between <laughs> who the Bee Gees were and what their music <laughs> was and what the Ramones. The Ramones were just the cheapest available. There were other bands that were like auditioning or not auditioning. They were being considered for that role. And the Ramones just lowballed and got the job. <laughs> Um, so, you know, Roger, and then Roger ultimately didn't care. The explosion of the high school, mm-hmm. uh, Roger got the elements he needed to sell it. And that's all Roger cared about. It's a fun movie. Oh, my man, it's good to see you. Good to see you. How are you doing? Good. Well, have a seat. Have a seat. Yeah. Jeez. So what will it be for uh, the star quarterback of Vince Lombardi High? Fake ID? Get your liquor in any state? Uh, no. Hall pass? Test answers? No, no, that, that's not going to solve my problem. Been like this all morning. Ever since Togar took off. The whole school's in turmoil. Well, well, look. Look at this. Fake IDs down 50%. Test answers down 60%. Hall passes are falling off the board. Let's get back to you. Tell me exactly what you want out of life. I want someone with huge breasts. Sweet, staring, passionate youth. You know he's he's still making movies. I know he's right. uh, he's uh, he's uh, indestructible. He's in his nineties. Oh my yes. god! Yeah, still turning them out. Well, that, you 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 did one, didn't you? Didn't you do one I of those Sharknado carna oh, versus two, uh, two shark? Oh, I don't think that's I don't think yeah. that's Roger. I thought you did one of those other. Uh, he does the shark versus octopus, and oh. he's got all that stuff going. Oh, he'll knock off anything. That's Carnosaur. Was Carnosaur, a right? Now, now, Carnosaur, Park. That was with um, uh, by Laura Dern's mother. That's right. Y- uh, with uh, Diane Ladd. Yeah, connection with uh, trying to be Jurassic Park. Yeah, and, well, I think she was – They Roger paid her a little bit more than other people. The only thing – the only person I ever worked with – or not even – wasn't a person. It was the special effects guys, and it was just a boatload of chickens at a poultry place up in Moore Park. And what they did is they just had this dinosaur in the foreground in front of the camera – and it was just old school illusion. There was no special effects, except it was a little puppet dinosaur that came down into frame right at the moment that my head was getting bit off. And then they had a shot of a headless thing guy, you know, spinning around. It was really cheesy. Roger was just cashing in. And, and you know, and, and I remember. Have you seen Carnosaur? Uh, yes. Of course. Yes. I had a feeling. And, and, and I remember it had some great scientific validity. <laughs> Because she's playing like a brilliant scientist and she wants to bring dinosaurs back. And her scientific reasoning is because I like dinosaurs more than I like people. (laughs) 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 And I thought, oh, there's a lot of thought when Clint is cracking up. I don't don't think that Roger really cared. I think. I think Roger knew that if he could do a poster with a dinosaur on it and put blood on it, that he could sell it. And, you know, it did okay because Roger made a lot of money, a lot more money than he invested in that movie. It, it was phenomenal 
what a keen kind of business idea. Oh, he's a genius. I was in a bunch of movies. He went through a he went through a period where he made gangster movies, and he made like five gangster movies in about a year and a half. And I was in a couple of them, but he did it. He amortized the sets and the cars. One movie had F. Murray Abraham and Martin Sheen. Um, He did one uh, with um, Babyface Nelson with C. Thomas Howell. He had Charles Bronson in one of them. Uh, Yeah, he he. But you see, it was he would make a string of them. They had. I think Godfather had come out, and he was trying to cash in on that. (laughs) <laughs> kind of mafia bad guy thing. And he did Dillinger and Capone. He did Babyface Nelson. He just hacked them all out. You oh, know, in the old days. All... Yeah, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. 20, he, 20 days was a lot of work. I mean, if if you could, if if he give, gave you 20 days to do a movie, that was a lot for Roger. By the end, interns were being the sound men. Roger would go <laughs> to any length to cut a corner. Do you know this story, Clint? We had him on the show with Gilbert. You, yes. you, you bring this up, which was the, uh, was it the terror where he had the sets built? He was going to play tennis. It rained. And, and yeah, and he figured, well, I'll make a movie and Boris Karloff owes me a few hours. <laughs> instead of, instead of playing tennis because of inclement weather, he decided to knock a movie out in a couple of days. And because he thought he had an actor he could get for free. Probably. Or less. Yeah. You know, that Roger was, he tell Roger, listen, God bless him. I mean, he's gave, he, he has opened the door for so many people in the business. Oh, sure. But I was around three, three major players, and I'm not going to say who they are, except one of them was my brother. And they all felt like, right, and I'm sure rightly so, they, they felt like that Roger owed him money. <laughs> it, 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 a deal was made. A, a movie was made, a sale, a network thing. So, somehow Roger got away with, like, less. And they were ro- sort of altogether railing on Roger. And then they started talking about giving him the Thalberg Award, which is the producer oh, sure. of the, you know, the Lifetime Achievement yeah. Award for producer. So on one hand, these guys were as successful as they were. They were still talking about how they, you know, Roger screwed him out of 10 grand or, you know, something like that. And yet in the next sentence they're talking about nominating him for the Irving Thalberg award. So Roger carries an interesting place in people's hearts. You know, most of those movies, well, Jonathan Demme had him in a lot of, of movies. Yes. Ron's used him a couple and, of times. And, in movies. and sure. he's, he's popped up in the Godfather. Yeah. movies. Well, yeah. that's Francis. That's Francis's connection. Yeah. Francis made a movie one time, borrowed Roger's equipment on the weekends or, you know, on the time that Roger wasn't using his equipment. Was that dementia 13? Yes, that and, and right. I think I think Francis thinks that there might be a little bit still owed. <laughs> <laughs> He's not doing well enough. We had Joe Dante here and Bogdanovich, two guys that uh, that that worked for Roger too. And they and and the conditions were probably deplorable, and the stories are amazing, and the food was cheap, and that's how they got into the business. Sure. And since you bring up life achievement awards, let's talk about yours—the one you got from MTV. Which was a fun moment for you. Yeah. You know, I got, I found out I was going to get the Lifetime Achievement Award on April 1st. My agent called me and said, you're going to get the Lifetime Achievement Award for the MTV Movie Awards. And I knew what day it was. And I said, Daryl, shut up. You know. (laughs) 
And and he went, no, no, really, they really want to do it. And they, they, you know, the they decided. And as it turns out, there was a you know, there's a handful of people that figure it out. They gave it to Chewbacca the year before. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not exactly the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, but an Oscar winner handed you yours. Uh, you know what? And my, I, I was, I was honored. I really, truly was. I thought, man, this is pretty cool. And I knew it was a great moment. I was at, at the time of my life. I felt like I could use the advertisement. I could use the the, the publicity. And I started thinking about what I was going to say. And my dad reminded me, I came up with a couple of jokes and my dad said, you know, keep it serious. If you keep it serious, if you take it seriously, the crowd will pull behind you. And you know what? He was right. I wrote a little, I wrote a little speech and made it, you know, I mean, humble and it was truthful, but I kept it not jokey and they loved it. Now, Right before that, I was a huge David Bowie fan growing up, and we were doing it at the Santa Monica Airport. Um, they have a hangar there where they do a lot of shows. And they had me in the audience, and they, they, I knew when they were going to do my number. I knew what I was going to say. I was just praying I wasn't going to throw up on myself. <laughs> and I was, I was needing to go to the bathroom. I was worried about getting the speech out right, saying everything right. I was nervous. And uh, Julian Lennon, had done a version of Heroes. No, Jacob Dylan. Jacob Dylan had done a version of Heroes, David Bowie's song. And it had been, I think it was in Titanic that year. Anyway, they played it live right before my segment. And I, I started listening to David Bowie's song and they did a great job and a great version of it. And I forgot my problems for a second. And the next thing I know, I heard Martin Landau say, ladies and gentlemen, Clint Howard. And it, it was basically, I w- it's almost like I've got no memory. I mean, I kind of remember being up there and I remember shaking Martin Landau's hand. I remember hugging somebody. Um, but your brother was happened. enjoying it too. Yeah. And yeah, you know, he was my, eating it up. My, my brother was, yes. And you know what he's told me, he said, it's great to be at one of these and not be on the hook for anything. Because he wasn't nominated, and he had gone through a stretch where right. he had been to a bunch of award shows. When you don't win, it's no fun. Ed Harris, for like four years in a row, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and it was the first award that they would always announce. And he never won. And so he had to stick around. And he, you know, he at the time he smoked cigarettes, and occasionally he liked to have an adult beverage. And can you imagine sitting around, like, you know, feeling, because he's wound up guy and he wanted to win and, <laughs> of course and when you don't win the rest of the evening is just bs well the clips on youtube i'll direct our listeners to it of you winning the award and run and jump running out of the audience and martin landau giving it to you it's a fun moment it's fun to watch and i'll tell you what i was really i felt really nice a few years later i was at the super bowl in in new orleans and uh joel gallon who had who had produced he ended up doing the roast for William Shatner. Yeah, Gilbert, you've worked for him a bunch of times oh, on those yeah. roasts, Joe yeah. Gallon, 10th Planet. Yeah, I've done a bunch of those. He's done Tenth a million Planet of those. Is, yeah. yeah, well, he was he did the Super Bowl halftime show that year. And he came up to me at a party there that in New Orleans and like you two was there. It was they were th- it was right after 9/11. And Joel got up came over to me. I didn't really know recognize him or know who he was. And he said, "You know what? You were in the best segment I've ever directed. And it just made me feel really good. It just, you know, between those clips of them talking about Clint, Clint. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Ron had just worked on ed TV 
I'd worked on Ed TV. So Woody Harrelson and Glenn Close. And it was a pretty easy pickup to get those people to do those. It's spots. a good gag, though. It's a good worthy it, gag. It was a good gag. And Joel was really proud of it. So, you know, that, that made me feel good. When you get, when you get acceptance or acknowledgement from, from your peers, it is always nice. When somebody genuinely comes up and says, God, that was, you know, really good. I mean, don't you feel, Gilbert, that 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 as soon as he gets the respect the, from his yes, peers, he'll let you know. Yes. <laughs> one, one day someone's going to come up to me and say, hey, that was passable. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was uh, that was uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, that's uh, not that wasn't completely embarrassing. Hey, now, I, listen, I'm no BS. I've seen you be pretty friggin funny. Oh, oh, watch those roasts. You. Watch him roasting uh, Bob Saget, and uh, I will. I'll go uh, back and check. Really, his he, he's uh, he's a house on fire. <laughs> and you, you once described your career. You made a description of your career as being like a booth at the Midway or something like this. Well, yeah, you know. Listen, I'm not a doctor. I don't shape social ideas. I'm an entertainer. It's like I work at the Midway at the Carnival. I have a booth. I work <laughs> I love booth. that analogy. <laughs> and every day I open my little cigar box and people walk by and I have my little act and they drop coins in my cigar box. At the end of the day, I close that cigar box and, oh, look, I made a living. And look, there's been people that have been entertained. I haven't changed anybody's, you know, I'm not... The, I'm an entertainer. I work at the carnival. So that's what I mean by, you know, I, it's actually I'm, I'm in a booth at the carnival. Now, some people own a booth. Some people own the carnival. I'm just a worker. Like I tell Ron, I tell everybody, I'm an Indian. You're the chief. You tell me what to do. It's interesting, huh, Gil? Yeah. How do you see yourself in that context? Uh, I see myself in the carnival and the freak show. <laughs> <laughs> Kind Not cleaning fun. up after the elephants? Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, Clint, I never saw a carnosaur, so Gilbert has it all over me on yeah. that one. But but I want you to know I did see Evil Speak. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed. And well, Gilbert, I'm going to make Gilbert watch that oh, one. <laughs> that's the one they wouldn't show it in England? Oh, yeah. Something? They banned it. <laughs> they called it a video nasty. That was what they called it. They, they banned it. They banned the video. Um, it was a little horror movie that that when the director saw me, I auditioned. Um, they immediately let the other actor go that they had already they had to pay him. Um, and they hired me. They made me pay. They made me pay for my own toupee. It was the first job I ever had where I had to have a toupee. I also had to shave my chest, which because I was supposed to be a cadet at a military school, and I. Even when I was 16, I had kind of a hairy chest. So when I was 19 or 20, when we did Evil Speak, I shaved. And it's just like they say, if you shave, it comes back thicker. And it was a mistake because I, it paid off. It, it hurt me later. In Little Nicky, I dripped hot wax on myself. And the, it was the gag in the movie. And I was dancing around, dripping this hot wax on myself. And the, the prop man came up to me and said, I'm really sorry, Clint. We looked for prop wax, but we couldn't really find any. And they, he just handed me a candle. And it takes a long time to get wax out of your, like, hairy chest. <laughs> so that started, a, 
that started on evil speak. And that was one of those deals where it was 21 days and, you know, the next thing you knew, the movie was over. I'm going to give it Gilbert was- a copy of it. I think he'll dig it. Oh, and, and you were also in a horror movie where you were a psychotic ice cream man. Call the ice cream yes. man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've played a lot of psychotics, Gilbert. I, you know, you, I'm, uh, yes, I was, I was in the ice cream man. Um, I was also in a movie called Ticks. Now, not the mammary oh, gland. Oh, I remember the that insect. one. Yeah, that, and that actually was kind of, that played. Amy Dolan's was in it. That's um, right. There was an actor who's in it. Seth Green uh, had a little part. Oh, they were yeah. Guys camping, and uh, they got bit by these ticks on steroids. And where did the steroids <laughs> come from? They came from me because I was growing weed out in the middle of nowhere, and I was putting steroids on the weed, and the ticks got into the, the steroids, and they went, they got big, and and first they bit me. And it, there was a great moment in Ticks where I yell right into a wide-angle lens with my face all contorted that I'm infested! And then this tick <laughs> blows out <laughs> of my cheek. So I've done a lot of kind of like that kind of, a lot of prosthetic stuff with stuff coming out of me and, and me <laughs> Killing people. I raped a woman in a dumpster one time. I've never really gotten to make love to anybody, but I have raped a woman in a dumpster. So, you know, I got that going for me. To go through your IMDb page, it's a lot of fun, Clint. And I like in a sports sports metaphor, you're a sports guy. You refer to yourself as a grinder, which I kind of got a kick out of. Hey, you know, a grinder. I'm also kind of like a relief pitcher. I would gladly like to start, but... I will gladly relieve, which is, you know, come in. It, may, it might only be for one or two batters. It might be for an inning and, and do your thing. And if it's, a, if it's a movie where you have the opportunity, it's fun to come in for a few days and build a character, take some chances, throw some curves on the outside corner. People seem to, you know, people like it. I keep getting hired. Right. Um, and, <laughs> and then the, the wonderful thing about that is, Three days, and then that character's out of my head. That movie's out of my head. I'm on to something else. Right. T- tell Gilbert uh, the, the only it, A-list project you've turned down in your career. Oh, the only. A- Do you oh, know this, Gil? No. The only A-list feature. I was sort of on a roll and beginning to work quite a bit as, you know, I don't know, about 30 years old or so. And The Flintstones with John Goodman and Rick <laughs> oh, Moranis. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I was going to be one of Fred and Barney's bowling buddies. And I, I saw the design. I saw what they were going to do, and they were going to be wearing, like, like fur loincloth outfits and stuff. And at that particular point in my life, I said, there's a limit. I am not getting in that. <laughs> oh, jeez. So that was the one, and that was – and I've worked with John since then, and I actually asked him about it, and he said, yeah, it was kind of funky, but he was getting paid a lot. I right. didn't get paid very much. I mean, I oh, wasn't yeah. going to get paid very much. So no no first fur-lined loincloth for me. Now, something else I remember getting back to Corman is uh, that's how Ron made a deal with Corman that he would do one movie with him if he let him direct. Well, yeah, Ron was on Happy Days, and Ron had a little power. He had a little, a little oomph, and Ron wanted to direct. And... The idea of if Roger could get two for one, because Roger had this this comedy called Eat My Dust, which was a teenage, just, you know, uh, car crash comedy. And Ron agreed to be in that if he could direct the next one. And 
sequel or another movie. It wasn't a sequel. E My Dust was a, a had a particular set of characters, and Ron and Dad wrote a thing called Grand Theft Auto, which was the only thing Roger wanted to call the movie Grand Theft Auto. That was the only requirement. So they <laughs> built this story, and Ron got to direct it, and it was uh, 21 days out in the desert and in Victorville, and, like, Cheryl, Ron's wife, was the caterer. Mom did the catering. I mean, Roger had them. They had catering in the budget, but the catering was so bad, the crew was going <laughs> to rebel. So Cheryl and Mom stepped in and fed the crew so, you know, Ron could make the movie. What was that great line that Corman said to, to Ron? If this goes well, the good news is you'll never have to work for me again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it was when it was when Rod, Ron was asking Roger for a couple more extras. That's what there it was is. A, You've got the there story. There was a scene where there was there was like old older people going in a bus, and it was pray to Jesus, here we come. There was, there was some sign on the bus, and 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 this cop commandeers the bus and joins on this chase to Vegas. So these Ron wanted the the bus to be pretty full with senior citizens for the humor and also just to have, you know the bodies in the bus and Roger wouldn't go for more than like you know four extras and Ron went to him and said you know Roger this is going great and this would be a lot more impactful if we had like four more extras and Roger l- looked at Ron and said no Ron if you do a good job for me You'll never have to work for me again. <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. And, and, it was, and Ron, Ron turned around and got some of Mom's friends to be extras for free. Um, and so you know, Ron finally kind of got the shots he needed. Roger didn't spend the money, and Ron never worked for Roger again. And you once did a movie that was filmed in an area that was so dangerous they had armed guards. I read. Yeah, no, that yeah. was evil speak. We 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 shot down in the not a good part of Los Angeles. It's it's been improved now. They were building the 105 freeway, the the connector road between you know that goes to the airport, and there was a church that was going to get demolished. The whole area was going to get you know done demolished, and it was not a good area. They had to have armed, like security guys with shotguns standing by the honey wagon. And the this was a horror movie, and this the inside of this church had been recreated to be really beautiful looking. I mean, that was the idea, and the church was finally going to blow up and burn down, um, which is why they shot it in an area that was going to be condemned, was condemned. And the old minister from the church, he long retired, he was an old elderly black gentleman. He came and saw what the inside of the church looked like before it was burned down. And he dropped to his knees and he thanked the Lord that his church had been returned. The fact is, is nobody had the heart to tell the guy it was going to get burned down like wow the next, the next <laughs> night. Bill, I think um, you'd like this movie. Oh, e- yeah. Evil Speak. R.G. Armstrong is in it. You know that actor? Oh, wait. You know him. Yeah. And also Luca Brasi shows up. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah, Lenny I think Montana. you might- and pigs eat the woman. Yes. I, oh God. Okay, I'm gonna see it. Yes. <laughs> I sever. I sever several heads. Yeah. I cut the heads off of several people, and there's also one fellow who gets his heart pulled out. He does. And I went to high school with Haywood Nelson, by the way. Oh, there you go. It's a little strange yeah, yeah, trivia. No. 
a little strange connection. You know, Haywood was a great guy, and he, he good guy at that time. He knew he didn't want to be an actor. Yep. Now yep. I don't know what happened, but he just oh, decided he's, he's he, not in the business anymore. From what from what's happening, you know Haywood Nelson. Oh, of course. Yeah. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, he hey. So, he, I think he was Dwayne. I was. This is so weird. I was on some show today. And I made a reference to him. Why? I, I started <laughs> at one point saying, hi, hi, hi. Went to Mineola High School yeah. with me. Yeah. So he's not in the business anymore? I don't believe so. And, and he was a young guy. He was he was probably only 20-something, 21 or 22 years old at the time. And he had decided, he had been on What's Happening. Yeah. And, and he had decided he just didn't want to do it. And he, t- he was taking this job. It was available. But he had no interest in pursuing it as an adult. That's so but, weird. weird. I was on the President Show today. It was called yeah on Comedy Central, and we started out of nowhere. <laughs> made a reference to strange what's happening. Coincidences. And I started going, "Hey, hey, hey." We have a question for you, Clint, from one of our listeners. Okay, this is from that we do, we do a new segment called Grill the Guest, where we let uh, our listeners. Uh, this is through Patreon, and we let our uh, our listeners. Uh, Ask the guest a question. This is from Will Harris, who's a gentleman uh, who I believe interviewed your brother. He says, this is the most Gilbert-friendly question possible. (laughs) What memories do you have of working with the great Ben Gazzara (laughs) on the death of Richie? When I interviewed uh, Clint's brother, Ron, he said that when he worked on the Smith family, he found himself in Henry Fonda's good graces because he was, quote, Rance's boy. So did you ever find yourself on an actor's good side simply because they knew your dad? Um, well, yeah, I worked with Hank. I, I did a film with him, with Henry Fonda. So uh, yeah, I was, I was Rance's boy. Um, let's see other actors. Yeah. Well, listen, Ron blazed the trail in a lot of ways. Dad and mom were introduced to each other by Dennis Weaver. And, and oh, that yeah, was a go. The, that was at the university of Oklahoma and, and a general Ben connection. Yes. yes. And, and most famously known as, Mr. Dillon, Mr. Dillon. And McLeod. Yes. Yeah, yeah. McLeod. He was Chester. Yes, he was. Yes. He had, he had that limp. What kind of guy it's, was he, Dennis Weaver? We meant to ask you about that. Dennis Dennis was a great guy. And Dennis was an early health food nut, you know, as far as um, um, he ate soy burgers. And he, uh-huh. he had barbecues that just you'd go hungry at his house. Because I ain't eating a soy burger. Um, <laughs> and he was very jo- jovial and he was, you know, certainly willing to go out there and work real hard. The Florida Everglades and the working on Gentle Ben wasn't easy. It was hot. And, um, you know, I, you got a hand. Dennis wanted to work. Dennis was a family man. Jerry was the, the, his wife, uh, you know, was always around his kids. He had a kid my age, Rusty. Uh, Rob was Ron's age and Rick was a little older. So our families sort of were together and, 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 uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't play every Sunday together, but we were around. And so, I don't know, I never got a job. Like I never worked for Andy in Matlock. Mm-hmm. I never worked. I worked on gentle Ben with Dennis. I didn't work with him again. So, you know, a lot of times you just have to accept the fact that, yeah, we're friends and stuff, but if there's something that isn't right, of course, if you're not right for a role, you got to just let your ego park and just accept the fact that you're not in that one. At least that's been my experience. 
Good actor, so good, uh, memorable in, in Duel, in Spielberg's Duel. Uh, yeah, I was. I, that's so funny. I was just thinking about that now. Yeah, that was when Spielberg was just proving himself. Absolutely, good, good, good performance. And and Duel is almost like the original Jaws. Yeah, you A know, Duel bit. had very Duel had very little dialogue. You know, if you really go back and look at it, there weren't a lot of actors and they wasn't it was mostly that tension. Yeah, it was and just it was a it truck. Was, the the chase, the pursuer, the pursuer and the pursuee and that you know, Stephen nailed it. I'll tell you Stephen talk about a guy who has chops. Stephen could figure stuff out. And and Ron's told me stories about like advice and ideas that that Stephen has given Ron that is just is like wow, you know. Kind of thought I was smart, and it's like th- that angle is really, really smart. And I remember and, there's no rhyme or reason to duel. It's never explained no, away. No, you're, you're leaving scratching your head, but it's, very it's effective. an eerie thing to watch. Yeah, very yeah, effective. Yeah, it, it was a TV movie. I mean, it wasn't it, – it was – it surprised everybody how artistic it was because it was. It was the shots, the impact shots, the shots of the truck, you know – Getting ready to munch the car in Dennis's expression, it all worked great. Stevens made a few just absolutely brilliant movies. He, uh, yeah, more than a few. Well, what wow. do you got? Ah, uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> we're about, we're about out of bullets here, Clint. Well, you fired enough of them, Jamie. I'm going to tell our listeners too to check out. This is fun. I know you haven't done it in years, but the Clint Howard Variety Show is hilarious. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very proud of those segments that we did. That you know, that was pre YouTube, and now you can watch them on YouTube. Oh, they're great. Me and a buddy, a, a guy named Barry Kirsten and I, we did it together. We directed them, and and I acted in them, and it was fun. Yeah, and you'd give your guests what at the end of the show. $15 and a turkey for all the celebrity guests. And they, <laughs> they didn't know what to do with the turkey. Yeah. We, would hand, we would surprise them and we'd hand them this like raw turkey that had been iced. And yeah. like Henry grabbed it. The Andy Henry Dick, Winkler, yeah. Andy Dick didn't grab it. Adam Sandler took it in stride. What Adam really liked was the money. Because we gave him fifteen one dollar bills, and he hadn't seen a one in a long time. <laughs> so, seriously, that's what he said. I got, I got some tipping money, so um, we gave him fifteen dollars and a turkey. Except Ron, he was on the show, and we gave him the fu and a Cornish game hen. <laughs> Gil, you can watch these on YouTube. They're a lot of fun. There's Judge Reinhold's on one, and and uh, your old friend Johnny Ramone. Johnny and, Ramone and was. They're great. a lot of fun to watch. What was nice is everybody said yes. There was never anybody that had a question about not wanting to show up to the vacant lot and be on the Clint Howard Variety Show. It was a blast. <laughs> I love you in comedies, Clint. I mean, you've done a lot of horror films. I, I just, I love you on My Name is Earl. You're a very funny man. Hey, nobody can play Creepy Rodney like me. I am <laughs> refining. <laughs> Creepy Rodney's a favorite of mine. <laughs> I'm, I'm defining the, the humorous psychotic. That's sort of my goal. <laughs> That's why you haven't worked together. He's taken your psychotic parts. <laughs> I know. Parts. I, I'm like you on steroids. <laughs> well, we want to thank Monique, too, for setting this up. Well, and there she is right there. We can see her. Monique, thank you so much. This with Clint, We wanted Clint for a while, so I was glad to hear from you. 
Well, yes. And listen, guys, first of all, I enjoy listening to podcasts. I haven't listened to you guys as a lot. I listened to the Adam West one, and that was great. Oh, thanks. I loved it. And I've been on podcasts, and I've talked to a bunch of people who are real, real podcast enthusiasts. And they always mention your show, that you're one of the— And also wow. Kevin, pa- Kevin Pollack. They just think you're funny. This guy, Steve, he thinks you're really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Did we get a last name out of Steve, Monique? Yeah. Uh, wait, I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's Owens. Steve Owens. That sounds familiar. Yes. Okay. Yes. And okay. Uh, in fact, he's going to buy one of my snow globes. In fact, <laughs> he, he, you you want to plug not, the snow globes, by the way? <laughs> well, I have, I have snow globes for sale for, what, $788,000? I'm just trying to sell one. No, no $288,000. <laughs> I what just want to sell one. You, you don't actually sell one. them, do you? If, you, if you've got $288,000, I'll, I'll sell <laughs> no, you one. I, <laughs> no, I, you know, this guy, Steve, he lives in Texas, and I— one of them traveled. One of them, somebody tried to fly, and it broke. Oh, so shit. So I've made a—I will give him to somebody if they won't take it on an airplane. This guy's going to fly out from San Antonio and drive back with a snow globe. And it's, it was made in his honor. And it was only—I met the guy, and he's got a fascinating kind of career and a life, and he's kind of funny, and it gave me the idea for a snow globe, and I made it, and I offered it to him, and— he took me up on the offer. He's going to come out and pick it up and drive home. Very and, cool. And I imagine you've seen Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just might be a snow globe <laughs> reference. Hey, well, be, before you run away, Clint, we started out by asked, by mentioning Jack Elam. Can you tell us something super quick? Oh, yeah. The, what, the greatest dude, as far as being a guy to look up to, because he was loosey-goosey, he played liar's poker, he, he was a gambler. So, listen, good news or bad news, I don't know, Dad never complained, but Ron and I learned how to gamble. And, <laughs> and he, was, he was really good because he was an easy-does-it guy, but he had a gambler's sense. And, and you kind of need an aggressive instinct to be an actor because, you know what, there's a lot of people there, and you got to step up, and when it's your time, you got to nail it, which is like a bluff or to make a move and win a hand. And we used to sit and watch Jack Elam play, and he would laugh. And I got to work with Jack probably about a half a dozen times in movies and television. And we love him. Yeah, he was easy. What a, what a treat he was. All right, my friend. Okay. Clint, you're a great raconteur. We appreciate this. Well, listen, I appreciate it, too. And Gilbert, seriously, I have seen you do stuff, and I've seen the roast stuff, and and – your 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 act works, man, and you're funny. Oh, thank you. Yes, yes. I it, listen. Whatever you do, I would just keep doing it as long as somebody's paying you for it. Yeah, <laughs> that that's basically my career. Well, plan. then there you go. Then then you work at the carnival too when they let you work there. Exactly. That's my and, thing. Sometimes I have to stand in line to get in the booth. And before I go, can you tell your brother Ron again to go fuck himself? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm writing it down right okay. now. Hold on. You should have been John Gilbert, Nash in A Beautiful Mind. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how Gilbert Gottfried says, fuck you. Yes. To Ron. Okay. Or, oh, no, wait. Oh, alternately, sorry. we'd yourself. like to have him on. <laughs> no, wait, wait. One or oh, the sorry. other. Fuck yourself. <laughs> fuck yourself. Yeah, go and, fuck yourself. 
So go figure. Now, would you like me to sign it for you? Yes, like, if please. I send it in, okay. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be calling next week to get on your show. Yes. I doubt that. <laughs> Tell him, hey, listen. say, in fact, say, Ron, Gilbert says, fuck you and the entire town of Mayberry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He might go on the show now. No, yes. <laughs> Clint, this was vastly entertaining, man. Oh, thank you. You're a great you, storyteller. Clint. Hey, well, thank you. Vice versa. Listen, you guys put it on a tee for me. Oh, you're the best. So well, listen, the, be, oh, go ahead, go no, ahead. You he's go gonna, ahead. I was going to wrap up Go ahead, up he's going to wrap. Uh, I was going to tell you guys to all fuck off and take my headphones off, but I'll let you do the I'll let you do the wrap. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for doing this. This was a treat for us. Hey, guys, it was. It was really, really fun. Thanks, you man. Guys, Thank I, you. I like going in depth. He's going to sign off. Thank you again, yeah, no, Monique. So... This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've uh, been talking to an actor who's played a certified sex molester in more movies and TV shows than I want to remember. <laughs> the way fun uh, <laughs> and versatile, <laughs> yes. <laughs> The fun and versatile Clint Howard. Clint, thanks again. Oh, no, no. It was my pleasure. And I am versatile. I can rape them and I can love them and I can tell them <laughs> jokes at the same time. <laughs> I, I have a feeling our listeners are going to love this one. <laughs> well, listen, thanks. guys, again, I had a great time. Thank thanks, you, Thanks, man. Clint. We'll talk again. 